Today's reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 27, verses 11 through 54. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You say so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many accusations they make against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the festival the governor was accustomed to release a prisoner for the crowd, any one whom they wanted. At that time they had a notorious prisoner called Jesus Barabbas. So after they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he realized that it was out of jealousy that they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that innocent man, for today I have suffered a great deal because of a dream about him. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus killed. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what should I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? All of them said, Let him be crucified. Then he asked, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he could do nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took some water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Then the people as a whole answered, His blood be on us and on our children. So he released Barabbas for them, and after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and after twisting some thorns into a crown, they put it on his head. They put a reed in his right hand and knelt before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. After mocking him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they came upon a man from Cyrene named Simon. They compelled this man to carry this cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his clothes among themselves by casting lots. Then they sat down there and kept watch over him. Over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Then two bandits were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads, and saying, You who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel, let him come down from the cross now, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he wants to, for he said, I am God's Son. The bandits who were crucified with him also taunted him in the same way. From noon on, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lemma, Sebastiani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, this man is calling for Elijah. At once, one of them ran and got a sponge filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick, and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, 
Let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Then Jesus cried again with a loud voice and breathed his last. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. After his resurrection, they came out of the tomb and entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now when the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were terrified and said, Truly, this man was God's son. There's a lot to this passage, and there's a lot that you could preach on, and there's a lot that's been preached on. Um, in the interest of brevity, and to keep this from being sort of a several hours long podcast, I'll go ahead and uh, just focus on Pilate today. Um, those of you who have seen and heard me preach before uh, know that as an attorney, I'm really interested in the way the law works and the gospel and uh, how Jesus interacts with law and power. And so uh, my reading of this, I always get drawn to Pilate. Um, I think he's really interesting because in a lot of ways, he's just kind of a government official who uh, wants to get this off his desk and move on with his day, move on with uh, what he's doing there in Jerusalem. <clears throat> and uh, I, I think it's really interesting what he does um, because Pilate is ultimately the one who sentences Jesus to die. Uh, the The Apostle Creed um, points out specifically that Jesus suffers under Pontius Pilate. Um, in our reading today, you'll notice that Pilate washes his hands uh, once the decision's been made to crucify Jesus, um, but he's not absolved of it. This was Pilate's decision. Um, and even after he washes his hands, uh, he orders Jesus to be flogged and crucified, um, all at his direction. And so uh, Pilate kind of leaving this up to the crowd isn't really absolving himself of any guilt. Um, he still makes the decision, and he makes the decision pretty squarely to um, have Jesus killed. And uh, the text doesn't really leave us any any room to wonder why he did it. Uh, he does it to avoid a riot, uh, despite the warnings of his wife, um, despite his own misgivings. <coughs> Pontius sees that uh, the crowd is about to boil over and uh, and start a riot. And so uh, in order to prevent that riot, he ends up sacrificing um, Jesus, letting Barabbas go um, to keep some semblance of a peace. Uh, this reading's interesting because it comes to us kind of at the darkest part of the Lenten season, but also at a just really dark time uh, in our history. Um, you guys will all notice because you're listening to this on a podcast rather than uh, in church. Um, so much of the country and so much of the world is shut down um, because of this worldwide pandemic and there's uh so much conflict over what to do about the pandemic whose fault this is what we should be doing um there are those of us uh, even right now um who are calling for a, a return to the status quo um or prioritizing just how we've become accustomed to living our daily lives and even the economy over the lives of our neighbors, over the lives of the people who are most vulnerable. 
This call to return to business as usual is similar to what Martin Luther King Jr. was talking about when he described a negative peace. It's the prioritization of the comfort and daily lives of those in power uh, over the survival, over the well-being of the most vulnerable people in our society. And this is the same choice that Pontius Pilate makes. Uh, it's to make sure that nothing upsets the daily life of those in power in Jerusalem, uh, rather than to allow Jesus to continue to work and preach his message of justice and radical love. Um, and kind of coincidentally, while I was reading this passage, I was also reading a book by Cormac McCarthy, uh, who's no real friend of religion um, and uh, who's kind of known as being a a dark author. Uh, but uh, this book's called The Crossing, and it's the second book in the Border Trilogy. And uh, it ends up kind of being the philosophical um, centerpiece of the three books. And so it's really dense. And uh, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody I liked, but it is uh, a really interesting read. It's a good read. Um, it's just a hard read. And uh, the place I was at when I was reading this, uh, the main character is talking to uh, a hermit in Mexico who is <clears throat> kind of talking about his theories of God things like that. And it really struck me that um, there are so many themes. And I'm just going to read you a short excerpt here. Um, this, uh, this hermit says, The heretic's first act is to name his brother so that he may step free of him. Every word we speak is a vanity. Every breath taken that does not bless is an affront. Bear closely with me now. There is another who he will hear what you never spoke. And he goes on to say, in the end, we shall all of us be only what we have made of God, for nothing is real save his grace. And I think that uh, McCarthy is right, and I think that this excerpt is especially prescient right now. Um, Pilate names Jesus as the Messiah to differentiate him from Barabbas, uh, and then has him killed to preserve the status quo. Um, there's always talk about, you know, the conspiracy and the crowd and but it's Pilate's decision. Um, Pilate names him. Pilate has him killed to avoid a riot. And in the 2,000 years since, Pilate's been rightfully remembered as having failed in this way. Um, but I think that we single Pilate out because this is a failure we've all made uh, countless times. Um, all of us has at some point taken the easy road uh, and reinforce that negative peace that doesn't disrupt our lives, that doesn't disrupt the lives of those in power. And if we are only what we have made of God, and if nothing is real except his grace, like McCarthy says, uh, then we have all been guilty of the same thing as Pilate. Um, and as we go through this next week into the Easter season, I think we, we should all look at the sacrifices that we and that our leaders are willing to make uh, to preserve that negative peace of the status quo, rather than pursuing the justice that Jesus represents. Um, if we are only what we make of God, and if nothing is real save his grace, then we should challenge ourselves to spread his grace as widely as we can and to make Easter, to make um, God's love as real as we can and as concrete as we can in this world. And so I would say as we're heading towards Easter, as we're heading towards what for us we know um, is a new hope, is, you know, the um, the raining down of uh, Jesus' grace on us for these 
failures that we've made. Um, that's what I think that we should focus on is what can we do to make these things real? What can we do to protect the most vulnerable? What can we do to um, make sure that when there is a pandemic, when there's a problem and people can't go to work, uh, what can we do to make sure that people's lives aren't totally ruined um, and make sure that we can still spread uh, God's love as effectively as we can.